Well, what a great conversation to just get a little window into. And we're going to have a number, uh, a few more of those over the course of our series. Uh, these are pastors who've gathered together to study Ephesians together. Um, and that's a really awesome thing to be able to, to come together in that way and then inform all of our preaching uh, going out to our local congregations. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. And it is definitely my privilege to be with you this morning to open God's word together. This is something that we make a routine here at PBC, uh, opening up God's word because we believe that this book contains truth and that it contains the words of life and we want to model our lives out of what we find here. And so we're gonna do that this morning in the fourth chapter of Ephesians, verses one through 16. And uh, we're gonna be talking about this idea of unity. That's a, a theme that this passage starts with, but where it's going to go is to uh, 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 an idea that we call the ministry of the saints. And this is kind of a foundational value, a core value for us as a church. And this is the passage where this value comes from. If you are not familiar with that idea of the ministry of the saints, basically what it is in short, and we're gonna unpack this as we go, is that ministry is not something that's meant to be done by the pastors and the elders and the staff of the church. Ministry is something that all of us as members of the body of Christ are called to and equipped for. So we're gonna unpack that idea together out of this passage today. Before we jump into the text though, I wanna bring you back to a time when I was in eighth grade. In eighth grade, one of the things that I enjoyed doing most was playing tennis. And uh, I, have, I have this very clear memory of being in my eighth grade English class and uh, not paying attention while my teacher lectured on Jane Eyre and kind of like staring out the window, just like longing to be out on those courts in a few hours. I loved playing tennis. But unfortunately, there was a, a, a period during that season where I wasn't able to play. During a match one day, I started to notice that my arm was a bit sore. I hadn't like really done anything, but it just started feeling sore. And by the next day when I showed up at practice, uh, it was in so much pain that I couldn't really swing a racket. And so I went to see our, our trainer um, at, at the school, the, the sports trainer, and, and just sort of said, hey, here's, here's what's up. What do you think? And so he started asking me all these questions and, you know, moving my arm all around, doing this and that thing. Does it hurt if I do this? Does it hurt if I do that? Can you do this? And uh, eventually he said, well, your problem is that you have a strained coracobrachialis. I thought, I didn't even know I have a coracobrachialis. Uh, turns out I do. You most likely do as well. It's a little muscle that runs kind of parallel to the bicep from your shoulder down to like your upper midarm here. Uh, and it's responsible for, among other things, kind of this motion right here, which if you're trying to hit a serve in tennis, turns out that's a really important motion to have. And so this trainer who is trained as a, an exercise physiologist was able to explain based on his understanding of how the body works and how all the different parts of the body work together and, and, and what you do when, when the body doesn't work well, he was able to explain to me, you know, you probably you didn't stretch it well enough. You didn't warm it up. You've strained it. And now here are the things that you need to do to get on the road to recovery so that this muscle will heal. He was an exercise physiologist. He understood the human body. He understood how it works. He understood how the different parts 
related to each other. He understood how you needed to treat it. He, understand, he understood what you needed to do when it broke down in order to get it back to a place of health. In Ephesians chapter 4, we come across this metaphor for the church as the body of Christ. It's the most common metaphor that's used for the church in the New Testament, the body of Christ. And so this morning, I don't have much more to share with you about exercise physiology, but what I do want us to think about together is spiritual physiology. As we look at Ephesians chapter 4, this is going to be like a, a little bit of a course in spiritual physiology. How does this spiritual body, the body of Christ, work? How is it supposed to function? What, how do the different parts relate to one another? What do we do when it breaks down and it's not working like it's supposed to be? How do we get back to a place of health? Those are some of the questions that we're going to be looking at in this text this morning. So uh, let's go ahead and jump in. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verses 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul writes this. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. At this point, we, we find ourselves at a major theme in the book of Ephesians. This is actually the major theme in the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters were a lot of theology, a lot of, a lot of theory, a lot of kind of abstract but very important ideas about what we should think about God, what we should think about uh, us as the church, what we should think about um, other people, a lot of ideas. Then Paul says, therefore, he's saying, in light of all of that, I want you to live in a certain kind of way. I want you to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In light of all of these things that we've been learning about God, all these things that we've been learning about the church, now we're going to take an intensely practical turn and say, how does this actually live out in the life of a body of believers? How does this live out in a family? How does this live out in the workplace? These are the kinds of questions that we're going to be asking in the coming weeks. And the place that Paul starts, the issue that he wants to address first is unity. It's this call to live out the unity that we've been told exists. He tells us to, in verse 3, to, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, that's really interesting language. He doesn't say, I want you to create unity. He doesn't say, I want you to pursue unity. He doesn't say, I want you to find unity. He says, I want you to maintain unity. And what he's doing is he's saying that, that unity is not something that we do. Unity is something that Christ has already done on our behalf. This is what they were talking about in that video of, of conversations of, of the pastors, this idea that in Ephesians 2, Paul says, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. That is, the, those walls that we raise up that, that keep us from other people, that keep, keep us surrounding ourselves with people that look like us and think like us and act like us, that, that these walls that, that have been raised up on the cross, Jesus tore those things down. He says, in the body of Christ, there are no more walls. That's, that's what's true. Right? That's the reality. There is no black church, white church, Asian church. There is no tech church and artist church and surfer church. Right? There's just the church. 
It's just one body. We are one. But we don't always feel like one, do we? Even though it's true that we are one, that we believe that, still we, we, we see all of these lines in the church and things that we can fracture over. And so here we are on Middlefield Road, a, church, a road that's lined with churches, and we have a black church, a Latino church, an Asian church. We have our church, right? They're, they're, these lines, they, they, they still exist. There still is this separation that works its way into practice. And Paul is calling us to a unity that's even greater than this. It's not just a unity you know, along uh, social and racial and ethnic lines. This is also, it, it's a personal and interpersonal kind of unity that he's calling us to. That, that within our body, we want to live at peace and be at unity with one another. But whenever two people come together, there's just natural divisions that happen, right? And this happens in the context of a marriage too. So in marriage, we know that there are two people that come together and the scripture tells us that the two become one. They're united together as one. And yet we know that there are sometimes still uh, differences that happen in the context of a marriage, right? Sometimes a couple can't agree on the right temperature to set the thermostat at, for example, in theory. I've, I've, it's never happened in my house, but I've heard that these kind of things can happen, right? The two have become one, and yet we're still not on the same page about everything. We're still different from each other, and that, that causes uh, conflict. It's, a, it's an opportunity for, for disunity to creep in, and so Paul is calling us here to unity. And uh, as he does this, he recognizes that, that this is a really challenging thing. That this doesn't just happen naturally. And so I love the language that he uses in verse 2 when he says, we need to be bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another. That would uh, more literally be translated, put up with one another. Okay? Sometimes we just have to put up with each other. In love. We just have to put up with each other. The same word is used elsewhere in the New Testament for enduring persecution. Sometimes unity Fighting for unity feels like enduring persecution. Right? It's hard work. It's a, it's a battle. It's a fight. We have to fight to maintain unity. So that's the first thing we want to take away from this passage. Fight to maintain unity. We don't create the unity. God creates the unity. But our job in cooperation with the Spirit is to maintain that unity. So where do you see disunity? In the church, where do you see division and dissension? Where do you see fracturing of relationships, division between people? We need to look hard at those areas. We need to be aware of them. And then we need to, to fight to maintain unity in those places. As Paul goes on, uh, he's going to give us kind of the reason why unity is so important. Sometimes we might think that this is kind of a, a nice thing if we can add it on, like kind of an extra side bonus to the Christian life. But he's going to say, no, this, this goes a lot deeper. This is actually essential. It's not optional. We see that in verses 4 to 6. He goes on. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So here we see that, that our unity 
with each other is based on the fact that we all serve one God, that there is one spirit, there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, there is one faith, and there is one body. We're all in this together. We're after the same thing, pursuing the same person, Jesus Christ. He also says there's, there's one baptism. Right? We mentioned earlier that there's baptisms coming up on Easter. There's one baptism. This, this, this is something that's given to all of us as a gift, as, as an opportunity to, to put on display this inward decision that we have made to follow Christ. And it's deeply symbolic, right? It symbolizes the, the cleansing in the blood of Christ as we're, as we're put in the water. And it, it, it symbolizes our resurrection in Christ as we're lifted back out of the water. And it's given as an instruction to all followers of Jesus. Not like just those who have uh, kind of advanced to a certain level of faith. There's no, oh, I don't know if I'm mature enough to be baptized. No, it's if you follow Jesus, be baptized. There's, there's one baptism, come and do this. And there's no better time than Easter Sunday. There's no better place than here in this family of brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you have not yet done that and you are a follower of Jesus, I wanna encourage you. I wanna exhort you, get baptized. Do it this year. It's a great opportunity. And you know, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then I wanna invite you, if this is something that you're exploring, something that you're curious about, I would love to chat with you. Paco or Bella, any of our other pastors or a member of our welcome team outside, we, we would love to, to talk with you and tell you more about what, it, what does it really look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like uh, to give your life to Christ? We would love to have that conversation with you. There's one body, one church, one faith, one Lord. We are one. We need to fight to maintain this unity. But the interesting thing is that if we place too much emphasis on unity, we might begin to make the mistake of thinking that, that unity and uniformity are the same thing. That if we're called to unity, we're just all supposed to be the same. But that's not the case. And as Paul's talked before, back in chapter two, he was talking about bringing different ethnic groups together as one. He's not saying you need to become the same. He's saying there's a beauty that when people who are different come together and find unity. And now he's gonna continue that same idea, but with a little different kind of line of thinking. And instead of talking about our ethnic and cultural and racial differences, he's gonna talk about the different gifts that we have been given, the different roles that we get to play in the body. So let's look at uh, the next couple of verses, starting here in verse seven. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? So he, so he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So again, here we have this, this concept introduced of gifts. And this is not the, the only place that gifts show up in the New Testament. Uh, there's a few other places, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, most notably, that give these, these lists of spiritual gifts and, and they describe them and kind of what their purpose is. This is kind of the third primary text on spiritual gifts. And what we see right off the bat is that gifts are something that are, is given to each one of us. It says each of us have been given a gift. You have a gift. 
I have a gift. We all have been given gifts. There are no exceptions. There are no exclusions. This is something that is for every member of the body of Christ. These gifts, we're told, are given to us by Jesus. And Paul makes this point in a kind of confusing or abstract way by this reference to Psalm 68. And in Psalm 68, it's this psalm that rejoices that God used the king of Israel to bring victory and salvation and deliverance to his people. And there's this reference to the giving of, of gifts and also a reference to God being one who gives power to his people. And so Paul grabs onto this psalm and he, he wants us to see that Jesus is, he's the ultimate king. He has won the ultimate victory for us, defeating sin and death. And that he, he descended to earth in order to do that. He lived a life among us. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, opened the way to life for us. Then he ascended back to heaven and he gave us the spirit and he gave us gifts, spiritual gifts. So these are something that come from Jesus by the spirit to us. So what are these gifts? Well, Paul's going to give us a short list of them here in the next couple of verses, 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So here we have uh, a short list of a few different gifts that have been given. But actually notice uh, that there's, there's a little bit of change in language. That first in chapter seven, in verse seven, we saw that God gives gifts to people. Now here in verse 11, God is giving something else, but he's not actually giving gifts to people. He's giving gifted people to the church. And he identifies th this group of leaders in the church, apostles, evangelists, uh, shepherds, teachers, prophets. And he's saying, these, these are a group of people who have been gifted and then they've been given to the church as a gift. Gifted people being given as a gift to the church. And so let, let's think about what these, these specific different gifts are. These are not the only gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament. And I, I think that, uh, and many would agree, that even the, all of the lists that we have, they're not meant to be like an exhaustive list of all of the different spiritual gifts, but rather like a representative sample. These are some of the gifts that the Spirit gives. And so here in this passage, we see that he gave apostles. Uh, many people think of, of these as uh, like the, the, the church planters, the, the ones who are, are, who are driven to get out and to, to bring the gospel into new areas where it hasn't yet been and to establish churches and to start new things for the kingdom. And then we have uh, prophets. These are people who, who speak for God to the people for the building up of the body. Evangelists, those who uh, have, have a heart and a passion for communicating the gospel to those who haven't heard it or haven't yet understand it, understood it, so that more people might come to experience the life of God. And then we have shepherds and teachers. And the, the language that's used here, the grammar that's used, suggests that Paul is thinking of these things more like one thing than like two. That maybe there's, there are some differences between shepherds or pastors and teachers, uh, but they're, they're so close that here he's, he's using them to kind of refer to one thing pastor teachers or, or teaching shepherds. And these are those who care for local congregations and teach the word of God to them. 
So we have these, these different gifts, and the ones he identifies here are these specific leadership gifts in the church. But then he's going to tell us why God has given these gifts in particular. And we saw in verse 12, what he says is that these gifts, these people have been given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So this is the idea of ministry of the saints, that that gifts have been given to people and these gifted people given to the church, these leadership roles in particular, not to go about and do all of the work of ministry. It's not that, that we as pastors and elders and the staff are supposed to go to that opportunities page and say, okay, what are all of the things that need to be done here at PBC? Okay, we need someone, to, we need some youth leaders. Uh, let, let's, let's hire some more youth leaders, right? We need, we need someone to help with this ministry or that ministry. Let, let's get some more staff or let's step up and do it. No, 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 no. That's not how ministry happens. Instead, these, these leaders, the, the pastors and teachers, they, they equip the body so that we together collectively can step up and fill these opportunities. We can do the work of ministry for the building up of the body. It's an amazing opportunity, amazing gift that God gives to the church for each member of the body to be able to serve the church, to be able to build up the church through, through their gifts. It's really incredible. So what we see is that, that we, have all, we all have different gifts. We all have a gift, but they're different gifts. And we all have a role to play in ministry. But they're going to be different roles. And so the takeaway for us here is that we need to serve in diversity. We need to serve in diversity. Each and every one of us should be doing ministry in the context of the body of Christ but we're not all, that's not going to look like the same thing for each of us. It's going to look like different things. And that's the beauty of it, is that we're all called to serve in different ways. Even though we're called to serve in different ways, though, the one thing that remains true is that everybody is supposed to serve. There's no such thing as a passive member of the body of Christ. Okay? No such thing as a passive member of of the body of Christ. A passive member of the body of Christ is like a leech. Has anyone ever had a leech stuck to them before? I have. Uh, yeah, a couple here. Okay. I, I had a leech on my foot once after uh, spending some time in a lake. It's just a little guy. Uh, a leech, it's, it, it grabs onto you and it, it, just, it just sticks there and it, and it sucks in order just to, to get what it can out of you, you know? But the interesting thing is that there's actually not that much difference between a leech and a toe, right? Both of them, they're kind of ugly. They're like these scraggly little appendages. Right? They, don't, they don't look all that different. The major difference between a leech and a toe is actually not, not how connected it is to your body. You pull on the leech, it's not just going to come off. If you pull hard enough on a toe, it might come off, right? They're not all that different. But the main difference is that a leech is just there for what it can take from the body. And nobody likes a leech. A toe is actually quite useful, right? A toe helps you balance. It helps you run, helps you walk. If you have really good control of your toes, maybe you can even pick things up with them. I don't know, right? A toe is useful. It contributes something to the body. We are meant to be much more like toes than we are like leeches, okay? Think of yourself 
as a toe. If you got a thing for toe, you don't want to be a toe. That's fine. You don't have to be a toe. Be, be another part of the body, but just don't be a leech, okay? Don't be a leech. Don't, don't show up here just to think, what can, I, what can I take? What can I give? How can I, how can I receive? Now, we want to be active members of the body of Christ where we come saying, what can I give? How can I build up the body of Christ through the gifts that God has given me? But the interesting thing is that when we go to ask, okay, how, how can I use my gifts? Oftentimes, what we default to thinking, the question that we ask ourselves is, what are my strengths? What, what are those supernatural or special abilities that God has given me that I, so that I can come and use those, those supernatural abilities in the context uh, of some kind of service opportunity? I want to suggest, though, that that, that, is, that is the backwards way to think about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, they do have to do with our abilities, but your, your gifts are not limited to the, to the abilities that you have, to the supernatural or special strengths that God has given you. Rather, I think a better way to think about spiritual gifts are the opportunities that the Lord opens up for you to step into ministry in order to build up the body of Christ. When I was, uh, before I came to PBC, I, I spent four years doing high school ministry. And each year, as a part of our training of our student leaders, we would give them a spiritual gifts inventory, ask a whole bunch of questions about uh, different kind of interests, different talents, uh, d- different things that you enjoy doing, things that you're good at. And then it kind of gives you your top three spiritual gifts. And I was amazed because every year, almost all of our high school leaders had the gift of hospitality. It was amazing. Every time it happened. And, uh, and then you look at the, the questions that they were asking about hospitality, and there were things like, do you enjoy having friends over to your house? Do you enjoy hanging out with your friends on the weekend? Do you enjoy uh, helping other people have a good time? They might as well have been asking, do you, uh, are you a high school student? Then you have the gift of hospitality. <laughs> Right? Maybe some of you high school students in here are like, yeah, I like doing those things. And maybe that means you have the gift of hospitality. But also, maybe there's something more at play here. Let's think about this idea of hospitality. So if you are the kind of person who loves to invite people into your home, gather them around a table, and make them feel comfortable, you might be good at hospitality. If you're the kind of person who steps into a, a new place and kind of looks for the person who's on the outside that you might be able to help bring onto the inside, how to melt, make, make people feel welcome, you might be good at hospitality. But being good at hospitality doesn't mean that you have the spiritual gift of hospitality. Because you can be good at hospitality without using that for the building up of the body. So... On the other hand, if you come here on a Sunday and you look around and you meet somebody for the first time, and it turns out this is their first or one of their first times at PBC, and you go out of your way to make them feel welcome, to get to know them a little bit, to hear some of their story, to share some of your story with them, right? And then you invite them out for lunch after church, and you invite them over to your house the next week, and you go out of your way to introduce them to other people at the church, now you've, you've taken this ability you have as a host, as someone who's hospitable, but you've used it in, in, in the context of a ministry opportunity to build up the body. That's a spiritual gift. 
using not just our strengths, but even let me suggest our weaknesses and saying, God, where do you want me to serve? You see, if we, if we think of our spiritual gifts as just what has God made me good at, then all we do is we find what we think we're good at and we say, I'm going to serve here. But then we're missing out on a whole opportunity to see God at work in our weaknesses. And we know that it's when we're weak that he's strong. That's when we have an opportunity to see the spirit at work in and through us is not when we're functioning out of our strengths, but when we're functioning out of our weaknesses. I started feeling called into pastoral ministry when I was 16 years old. I was a freshman in high school and uh, I, I felt the Lord laying on my heart that, that he wanted me to go into ministry. I didn't even really know what that meant at the time. I didn't really know what it meant to be a pastor, but I always understood this call as a call to a, a preaching and teaching ministry. Uh, and, and I always kind of understood that to be working primarily with adults. And so I kind of had this, this idea like, you know, I'm, I'm not cool enough to be a youth pastor, okay? <laughs> Let's not fool anybody. That's not my thing. Uh, so I'm just going to, I'm going to train for, for something different. And so I got to seminary uh, intending to uh, kind of figure out, you know, where can I get plugged in in ministry at my church and kind of thinking about different ways to do that. And, and I had a friend there who said, hey, you know, I'm doing high school ministry. Why don't you come be a high school leader? <laughs> I said, uh, that's, you know, that's, that's not really my gift. It's not my strength. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to be the best leader. Uh, there, I think there's other people who were kind of made for that. I was made for, for something else. And my friend just looked at me and he's like, we need leaders, okay? Come be a high school leader. Kind of like we're, you know, this, we need leaders, okay? We, we heard this morning, we need high school leaders. Come be a high school leader. It's like, okay, uh, I'll, I'll give it a try. I can show up. So I showed up, kind of got a sense of what it was like. I said, yeah, I can, I can do this for a little bit. I said, yeah, you can sign me up. I, I, I can be a leader. And for the next four years, I had the opportunity to be involved in the lives of students that I never thought I would be able to, to see people come to Christ, to see people grow in Christ, to see people get integrated into the body of Christ. And you know what? I was never the best with high school students. We had other leaders that you could just tell this was their sweet spot, right? Uh, For me, it always felt like a little bit of a stretch. It didn't feel like a strength. It felt, felt more like a weakness. But you know what? For those four years, high school ministry became my spiritual gift. Not because I was great at it, but because God opened up an opportunity and he called me to step in to that opportunity. And so when you're asking the question, what are my spiritual gifts? I don't want you to start with what are my strengths? God might call you to to use your strengths in ministry. I'm sure he will in different ways. But he might also call you to use your weaknesses. And so a better question than what, what am I good at is, God, where are you calling me? And where is the need? And that's why we've created this opportunity, service opportunities page, this ministry of the saints page. Not because we have all of these things that need to be done in the church and we need to find people to do them. It's not about that. It's about we want you, the body, to be able to be aware of what the various needs are in the body so that you can have a conversation with God about where he wants you to get involved. And wherever that place is that he calls you to step into, whatever opportunity he opens up for you, that is your spiritual gift. That's where God wants you serving, bringing all of you, everything he's made you to be into that context for the building up of the body. This is 
the, the gift that we've been given as the people of God, to be able to contribute to the work of ministry, to the building up of the body by serving in whatever capacity God would call us to. Well, as, uh, as we think about using our gifts in ministry and serving in different ways, I think one of the dangers that we run into, and this is maybe particularly dangerous in our culture that's so focused on kind of achieving and doing, is we say, God, where, what can I do for you? What can I accomplish for you? And it becomes very much about kind of the, the work that we can do. And Paul wants to, 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 to tell us that's, that's not the point. The point is not about what you can do. There's, there's, something, there's something more important at stake here than just being busy for God. And he explains what this is for us in the last few verses. So verses 13 to 16. After saying that he's, he's given these leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body, he says in verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith, we've talked about that, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, for what purpose? To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The point of having these gifts is not that we could busy ourselves with ministry. The point is that we might grow up into maturity in Christ. And so our last takeaway here at the end is that we need to be striving for maturity. We need to strive for maturity. This, this is the goal. The goal is not to be busy with ministry. The goal is to, to grow in maturity in Christ. We're not meant to stay as spiritual infants. When we first come to know Jesus, we are spiritual infants. We're babies. I've got three kids under five. I know something about babies, okay? They're super cute. They're super cuddly. Everybody loves holding a baby. They can't do much on their own, can they? You wouldn't want to be a baby forever. You probably wouldn't want to have a baby forever. It's a little bit tiring, right? But that's where we start. That's not where we're supposed to end, though. We're supposed to, to, to grow up into maturity, to be, to be full-grown people, and not just full-grown individuals, but full-grown collective body of Christ. And there's different ways that Paul talks about this maturity. We could think about uh, maturity in terms of the growth of our character. To, to, to mature in Christ is to develop the character of Christ. And character is not just actions where we act like Christ, we think of character as, as kind of the base or the foundation in our lives out of which our actions more or less naturally flow. So as we mature in Christ, we want to be becoming the kind of people who just naturally do the kinds of things that Jesus would do if he were us. It's a maturity of character. He also talks about maturity in a couple of different ways, though. He talks about a maturity of doctrine. He says, you know, when you first become a believer— there's not much that you know. Doctrine is just what, what, what do you believe to be true? What do you believe to be true about God? What do you be, believe to be true about the Bible, about humans, other people, about salvation? And when you first come to know Christ, you don't know all that much. 
We need to mature from that place to have a, a, a developed idea of who God is and who he's created us to be. It's a kind of maturity of doctrine. Then he also talks about this maturity of relationship. He uses, again, this metaphor of a body, which is, it's an image of being connected, right? Each part of the body relies on other parts of the body. They're joined together, physically connected with Christ as the head. So to to grow in maturity in Christ is to grow in relationship with one another, and it's to grow in relationship with Jesus. What is a body without a head? It's nothing. What's a head without a body? It's not, it's nothing, right? We, we, we are created to be in relationship with God. So as we mature in Christ, we are maturing in relationship with each other, finding unity there, and in relationship with God and finding unity there as well. This is our goal. This is our purpose. This is what the body is here for. To, to take our uh, foundation of unity along with the various gifts and opportunities that we've been given to serve so that collectively we might grow up into Christ who is our head. When I think back to those couple weeks where I had a, a strained coracobrachialis in eighth grade, uh, there was a couple weeks where, where some of my joy was taken from me. This thing that I loved doing so much, I wasn't able to do because my body wasn't functioning like it was supposed to. For us, collectively, there is a joy that we miss out on when the body is not functioning like it's supposed to. When any member of the body is, is, is not looking for what they can contribute to the body and asking God, where are you calling me to serve? There's a joy that's available for us there, but we need to come together in unity to serve together for the building up of the body so that we might grow up into Christ. I want to invite you to stand as we uh, pray and get ready to enter back into worship. And as we stand, let's just, um, as we pray, I just want to pray that the, the Spirit would actualize these things that we've been learning about this morning. So Spirit, we do ask that you would come. Lord, we know that there is so much division and disunity and dissension in the church today that sometimes it's hard to hear the reality that we are one. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. But Lord, we want to come together in the unity that you have created, but we need your spirit to live that out. Lord, I pray that as we do come together, that you would show us, you would reveal to us each individually what are the places that you are calling us to step up into and to serve in ministry, to build up the body. And Lord, I pray that as we do this collectively, you would bring us together and you would grow us up into Christ, that we would be mature. God, we don't want to be spiritual babies. We want to be mature in Christ. Spirit, we we need you to do this. We know we can't do it on our own. So we ask, Lord, that you would come, that you would be stirring in us. If there are those of us this morning that are sitting on the sidelines, Lord, would you call us into the game? If there are those of us who just have no idea where to even begin when we think about uh, serving the body and using our gifts, Spirit, speak. Maybe even here in this moment, just place something on our hearts. Maybe as we go to that opportunities page, would you let, let an opportunity there catch our attention and just draw us in? 
we want to see you glorified. We want to see you magnified in this body. I pray this in Jesus' name.